It's Thursday, the 27th of July. In this episode of Going Viral, Professor Adrian Esterman discusses the current COVID situation, vaccines and antivirals, long COVID, and provides some personal thoughts on what we can do. The Going Viral podcast from HealthEd shares the latest on COVID-19, with leading voices from across Australia providing medical professionals with up-to-date information from reliable sources. Here's today's episode. Thank you very much, everyone, um, and welcome to this COVID-19 update. I've got no conflicts of interest, and I'll be covering where we are at the moment in terms of COVID, both globally and uh, nationally. I'll be briefly looking at uh, the current vaccine that's available and what we can look forward to in future. I'm going to focus on antivirals, uh, and in particular, molnupiravir, which is quite controversial at the moment. Uh, briefly talk about long COVID, and finally, just some personal thoughts. But my take-home messages are, the first one is it isn't over yet. Even though WHO has said we're no longer in a situation of international concern, we are still formally in a pandemic. And despite the government telling us it's all over, it's not. Um, I'll be talking about, as I said, molnupiravir and some very, very recent results from an Australian trial. And finally, I'll be talking about the need to protect our vulnerable patients. So let's first of all have a look at the global situation. And what we see immediately is that Australia and New Zealand have got the two highest instance rates basically in the world, certainly in the Southern Hemisphere. In terms of Australia itself, this is the um, instance proportion for each state and territory. Now you'll see that um, Victoria has got a star next to it, and that is because as of um, two weeks ago, uh, Victoria now no longer include positive rapid antigen tests in their, in their case numbers. Um, and that's just one of the things that's happened. About a month ago, uh, Queensland stopped reporting weekly statistics. And this is making it incredibly difficult for people like myself to keep track of what's happening. And I'll be talking about that in the personal reflections. Um, if you think it's bad here, have a look at New Zealand. They're in a much worse position than we are in terms of COVID-19. Now, what about what's currently circulating. Uh, I'm sure you're all aware that after the Wuhan strain, WHO declared that we will be using um, Greek letters, and we had alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, etc. And then we hit nu, N-U, and WHO decided we couldn't have that because it was too much like the English word. And after that was xi, xi, and we couldn't have that because it was the Chinese president's name. And, 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 and so the next one after that was Omicron. And since Omicron, we now have over 700 sub-variants and sub-sub-variants of Omicron, and nearly all of them now are basically recombinants of, of different previous forms of, of Omicron. And you'll see from here that the ones that are traveling us at the moment are the XBB.1.16. The asterisk means that there's also sub-variants and sub-sub-variants of that, uh, XBB.1.9 and XBC. Now, the one that's um, got everyone interested at the moment is one called XBB.1.16.1.1. <laughs> which is 50% more transmissible than XBB and is uh, really starting to dominate in Asia. And because it's got such a huge rotten name, they now call it FU.1, which is a bit uh, <laughs> of a joke. And there's also an FU.2 as well. Now, this is roughly what's happened since the start of um, uh, January 22. Uh, we saw the initial huge spike caused by BA.1, 
then this double peak from BA.2, and just out of interest, the double peak is because Western Australia came in a bit late into the scene. And then we've got the BA.4.5 peak, which was um, late last year. And then at the beginning of this year, we had a, a smaller peak, which was a mixture of different um, uh, variants. And now we've just come through uh, yet another peak, um, which looks very, very small and shallow. Um, just to remind you about the effective reproduction number, so this is roughly, um, if you have an effective reproduction number of two, it means that uh, if you're infected on average, you infect two others. And it takes into account that people will have immunity. Um, this is what it's currently looking like in Australia. So if it hits one, it means we're at that sort of trough position in the peaks. Greater than one, it means we've got a, a peak coming. Less than one, it means that we're in a descending pathway. And you can see at the moment, we're actually going down, which is good news. Um, but I imagine that's going to tail off very, very quickly. And in fact, as of yesterday, it's going up again towards one. Now, if you remember the previous one, which showed the case numbers, it appeared as though the current peak we've just gone through was very low and shallow. The reason that's like that is because we're simply not reporting cases anymore. And so it's a huge, gross underestimate of the actual true situation. If you look at hospital numbers, it's almost as bad as it was at the beginning of the year. And so it, it really is quite shocking for the government to say, oh, you know, things are getting better, you know, it's all over, get on with your lives, it's only another respiratory disease, when we're seeing these massive numbers of people in hospital with COVID-19. And I'm sure you're seeing them in your clinic as well. And another way of looking at it is to look at the percentage of diagnosed people who end up in hospital. At the beginning of the year, it was about 3%, and it's now close to 12%. Now, that's not because the disease has got any more severe. It's simply a reflection of undercounting. And the true number of cases is probably at least four times the diagnosed cases. And this is Australia weekly deaths. And it's ranging at the moment between 1 and 200 deaths a week. Now, that is 10 times the number of deaths from motor vehicle accidents. And yet, we make people wear seatbelts, we have safety protection features on cars. What are we doing about COVID-19? Nothing. This has only just been released. This is the Australian Bureau of Statistics uh, provisional mortality data. And what you see is the blue shaded pattern is the baseline deaths in Australia. Now, these are the deaths that we would expect to occur if there wasn't COVID. And what this tells us is that in 2022, last year, there was an enormous number of COVID uh, of excess deaths which, which were caused by COVID-19. Uh, this year, uh, it might be difficult to see, but it's a little blue line um, where it says 2023. It's better this year. We don't have as many excess deaths as last year, but it's still much higher than the expected number. In other words, it's not over. Just a, a very quick slide about uh, vaccination. These percentages have been the same now for many months. We've still only got 70% of Australians who've had three doses. Now, that is not so bad, and I'll explain why in a minute. Um, but this is more, much more worrying. This, this is looking at the time since you had your last dose. Now, for the youngsters, uh, uh, only 4% are up to date with their vaccination. That doesn't really matter, uh, and I'll go through that in the next slide, which is WHO policy, but what does matter here is the 65 plus. So this is the vulnerable group, and we have less than half of them are up to date with their vaccination. Now that's 
to me is, is, is a terrifying thing. I mean, half of people my age and a lot of your age aren't up to date with their vaccination, and it makes them liable for a nasty infection. And one of the reasons why it's so bad is here. Currently, there's 186 active outbreaks in aged care homes. And those residents, only half of them are up to date with their COVID-19 vaccination. Why is that the case? Why don't we do something about it? So what's likely to happen in the future, where I get out my crystal ball? I think the most likely situation is we'll see a continuation of the current pattern with these new um, different sub-variants of Omicron, with each wave being slightly smaller than the previous one, and eventually we should oscillate into an endemic situation, but that might not happen for another 12, 24 months. An alternative is we get a brand new variant out, which will be called Pi, which is the next Greek letter along. And if that does happen, and there is a chance it could happen, then there's a 50% chance that it's either more severe or less severe than the current Omicron. And then that might be a whole new ball game with potential um, face mask mandates, etc. And then the other uh, thing that's happening now, and I'll talk about this again in a minute, is that we have a whole raft of new vaccines available or coming on the market, some of which might actually stop transmission, which would be a wonderful thing. Now, what about the actual vaccines we have available? As you know, the current ones we have are the bivalent um, ones based on the uh, BA45 and the original Wuhan strain. Oh, sorry, let me talk about sort of what WHO's policy for vaccination is first. My apologies. So WHO have split up um, people into three groups. Highest priority for vaccination are basically vulnerable people. And WHO say that they should be up to date with their booster shots and get new ones every six or 12 months, depending on individual circumstances. Their medium priority is basically healthy adults. And what they say is that they should have their primary series plus a single booster. And that's enough for them. They do say, though, that additional boosters are safe for this group of people. And one of the reasons that, that you know, people in this group should consider getting uh, an additional booster shot would be, first of all, to um, protect vulnerable people. So most of these people would have elderly grandparents, for example. But also, what we do know is that Vaccination protects you against long COVID. So two reasons why it might be worthwhile considering additional shots in this group. And finally, the lowest priority are basically children. Um, and they say that they don't really need to be vaccinated, although we do know that some children get very sick with COVID-19. But one reason, to, again, to consider them for vaccination is that the vast majority of infections are in adults are picked up by their children, from the, are picked up from their children. So now it's got, sorry, and this, is, this is where I'm going to talk about the effectiveness of the current bivalent booster shots. So this is from a New England Journal of Medicine, fairly recent publication, and it shows that vaccine um, effectiveness against hospitalization and, and death are still quite good for these, um, for these bivalent vaccines. Uh, unfortunately, they do wear, wear off very quickly, so that after three to four months, the protection is, is much lower than it was at the beginning. Um, the new um, vaccine that's going to be available later this year is in fact a monovalent vaccine based on XBB.1.5. 
Now, we have no clinical data available yet because the trials are still ongoing. But this is uh, from Moderna, and this is a study they've done on mice. And the orange bar shows their monovalent XBB.1.5 and actually shows quite good neutralizing antibodies from it. So it looks as though this new um, monovalent XBB.1.5 will work extremely well against all of these recombinants I showed you before. A little bit about vaccine safety. So this is um, from the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And this, this quite amazes me that out of the 68 million doses, we have a, an adverse event rate of 0.2%. But 59% of them were for Pfizer and only 5% for Moderna. I've got absolutely no idea why. And in terms of vaccine safety deaths, there were 994 notifications to TGA about possible deaths. And these were all carefully scrutinized by big teams of consultants, etc. And they judged that out of all those 994, only 14 were actually related to the COVID vaccination. And 13 of those, it was after the first dose of AstraZeneca. And there have been no deaths this year. Um, so despite all the stuff you hear on social media about the vaccine causing deaths, etc., etc., it's just nonsense. So what's happening with, with vaccines over the next uh, year or two? As I said before, the next vaccine is going to be a monovalent XBB.1.5, and that should work very effectively against current circulating subvariants. Um, there are some trials of needless vaccines, including patches and jet injectors, and there's one in Australia at the moment. Um, there are three clinical trials going on at the moment with the oral vaccines. Um, we have the combined um, COVID-19 Fluvax vaccine, which Novavax are trialing at the moment. And I imagine eventually you'll get one with RSV in there as well. There are trials of live attenuated vaccines going on at the moment. Um, excitingly, there's a trial, or there's been a, a, an approval for a, a nasal spray in India and for, for an inhalant in China. So these are currently actually being used in those countries. And that's exciting because these actually have the chance to stop transmission. And finally, there's teams around the world, lots of them working on broad-spectrum vaccines against COVID-19 to make them variant-proof. Um, we don't have any phase three trials at the moment, but they'll be coming. And I'm very optimistic that within the next two years, we will have a broad-spectrum um, SARS-CoV uh, vaccine available. Now, I'd like to then focus now on antivirals. Now, I'm sure you're all aware that Paxlovid is the first-line uh, antiviral. And it's very, very effective against uh, hospitalization. But as you know, it's, um, th there are many of your patients you can't give it to. Either they've got renal impairment or hepatic impairment. And it has lots of drug-drug interactions with many other drugs, including statins. So what a lot of you are doing is, is uh, prescribing monupiravir as a second line. But then this came out, which I'm sure you've all seen. And this was based on the panoramic trial in the UK, which is here. And what the panoramic trial concluded was that basically monopiravir doesn't work. And that's why that recommendation was that you no longer consider giving it unless you're desperate, basically. But one of the problems with the panoramic trial was that the average age of patients was 56.6 years, whereas we tend to give monopiravir to quite elderly patients. Um, a recent study has just come out now. This is um, from, from Melbourne. 
This is a, a Lancet preprint, and it will soon be published in Lancet. And this was a retrospective data linkage study, so they uh, linked up data from um, the vaccine registry, from PBS, uh, desk records, hospital records, created 30,000 people aged 70 plus. And nearly all of them have had at least three vaccine doses. So this is much, much more like the sort of patient you see uh, in, in your surgery. And of this 30,000 plus people, you see that you've got 13.5% have Paxlovid, 51% had Molnupiravir, and 35% had no antivirals. And what happened? So what we see here is that if you look at um, admissions to hospital, both Molnupiravir and Paxlovid reduced hospitalization. Paxlovid a bit more, but nonetheless, Molnupiravir was quite effective, 30% reduction in the odds of hospitalization. And in terms of deaths, even better. Uh, for for um, Paxlovid, there was a 70% reduction in deaths, and for Molnupiravir, it was more like a 50% reduction in the odds of death. So the conclusion here is that Paxlovid is better, but Molnupiravir is still very effective and worthwhile giving. One of the other things they said in the study is that timing is of the essence. This basically, the sooner you can get antivirals into a vulnerable patient, the better the outcome. So this has got implications for access to PCR testing, access to GPs, and this is becoming more and more difficult. What's happening in the future? There are literally dozens and dozens of trials around the world of new antivirals. This is one that uh, came out about uh, two months ago. It found that pegylated interferon lambda was very, very effective. And uh, although it's not been authorized yet, I'm sure this is coming in the near future. So a little bit about long COVID. Um, this is a fantastic paper from Nature Reviews. Um, if you get a chance to read it, I would. It goes right from pathogenesis to potential treatments. Um, there is a group in America who basically, what they did was um, they tried to define uh, post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2. They took uh, thousands and thousands of people with, long, with um, long COVID and worked out that there were 12 uh, symptom groups. And they scored each of these and created an overall score. And based on that, they tried to work out what percentage of people who are infected end up with long COVID. And what they found was that it was about 10%. So from this study, the estimate now is about 10% of people who are infected end up with long COVID. Now we've got 12 million infections in Australia. That's over a million people with long COVID. That's a lot. Very briefly, here are some of the risk factors for long COVID. Uh, there's new data out now about genetics. They've discovered a new gene, which is uh, one of the Fox genes, which is likely to be um, uh, related to getting long COVID. But I'd also point out that the more COVID-19 infections you have, the higher your chance of long COVID. How do you prevent getting long COVID? Well, don't have COVID in the first place. Um, vaccination protects you against long COVID. More reason to be up to date with your, with your vaccination. Antivirals protects against long COVID. And finally, um, my mate um, Don Campbell in, in Melbourne is actually trialling a heparin nasal spray at the moment, which he believes in, but we'll have to see how that works out. And just some personal thoughts. And look, the first thing is secrecy. It's getting more and more difficult to get hold of decent data from the different states and territories or the TGA or, or um, ATAGI. 
Uh, you almost need an FOI to try and get anything out of them. And I told you that um, uh, Victoria have now stopped um, including the, the rapid antigen tests in their data. We've got, we've got the Queensland government who don't report the weekly data anymore. And it, it's making life for us very, very difficult. And why the secrecy? I, I really don't know. All I can think of is that, you know, the government's pandering to, to big business. You know, it, it's basically lying to the general public by telling everyone it's all over. But having said that, for the majority of Australians, it basically is all over. They've gone back to their normal lives. Um, but look, this is from an MJ Insight article. And I think this is absolutely true. We've now got two groups of people in Australia. Those who don't care anymore, they don't wear face masks, they don't worry about vaccination. And then the group of highly vulnerable people who do have to worry. And it says they need to carefully navigate their own risk against this backdrop. Well, they can't. Most of them aren't health literate. They don't know what to do. If they get symptoms, they wouldn't have a clue. What happens if you have symptoms on a Sunday morning? Your GP isn't open, what do you do? So my last point here is, please, you are in the position to look after your vulnerable patients. I know many of you have made care plans with your patients or vulnerable patients and explained to them what to do in case they get sick. But for those who haven't, please consider it. So I'll stop there, but uh, thank you very much. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast, where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.